this is the day in the Christian year, and it always falls the Sunday before Easter, when we celebrate Christ making his entry into the holy city, into Jerusalem, a place that he has been heading for weeks and for months, telling his disciples that they are on their way to Jerusalem. And this is a, is a really important moment in the life and in the ministry of Jesus, which is why every year, the Sunday before Easter, we carve out a day to remember and to use it to kick off Holy Week as we begin to walk with Jesus to the cross now that he is in Jerusalem. So we're going to read one of the gospel accounts this morning of this moment where Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And I hope you can see some of the parallels in what we find here in the gospel of Matthew and in what we just experienced with our kids waving their palm branches. So we're in the gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem... And had reached Bethpage at Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been said through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humbled and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went ahead and did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. There is a lot that we could talk about in this passage from this week. We could talk about that weird exchange that Jesus has with the disciples around the colt and the donkey and how it seems like they just went and took these animals from somebody, but God said it was okay, and so they just went and untied them. It's a really strange moment that happens there with Jesus and the disciples. We could talk about how here in the Gospel of Matthew, by including both a donkey and a colt, Jesus fulfills a prophecy that we find in Zechariah chapter 9, which gives us as the reader yet another sign that this man, this Messiah, really is who he says he is. Or we could talk about the swing that we already know is going to happen this week. How the crowds right now are shouting Hosanna and waving palm branches and laying down their cloaks, but that just a few days later they'll be shouting crucify him. And how right now he's hailed as a king and makes an entry into the holy city fit for a king. And only a few days later, he's going to have a crown of thorns pressed down upon his forehead. We could talk about what it may look like for us as a people of faith to lay down our cloaks for Jesus to make his way into our lives this morning. There's a lot that we could talk about that comes from this text, comes from this moment in Jesus's 
ministry. I mean, this is surely the the climax of Jesus' popularity during his public ministry. It has to be one of the most climactic moments over the course of his whole ministry. I mean, we've already talked about he has had his sights set on Jerusalem for so long. And his disciples have been trying to steer him away from Jerusalem because they have heard what he has said is going to happen there once he gets there. And this moment for us, at least when I read it, it seems like it really does live up to the hype. I mean, it is just a blowout moment in the life and in the ministry of Jesus that is rich with meaning. But for some reason this week, I felt myself just drawn to one thing about this passage. At the height of his ministry, at the peak of his popularity, knowing what he is coming into this city to do, having foretold his death and resurrection countless times to ears that didn't want to hear it, Jesus, to me, just seems to be taking his time. When I read this passage, it seems to me that Jesus is just so unrushed in this moment. He's so calm. He's, he's so present in what is happening around him. He doesn't come into the holy city galloping on a stallion or in a chariot surrounded by warriors because he knows that people are about to come for him galloping in with, with, with a cloud of dust following behind him. He arrives sitting on a donkey, sitting on a donkey, not in a saddle on a donkey, sitting on his disciples' cloaks on a donkey. Certainly not the Cadillac of rides that were at his disposal, right? Just moseying into the holy city. I can't imagine that they were moving much faster than a walking pace as he made its way closer and closer to the gates of the city. Jesus, in this moment, despite all of the reasons that he could be, isn't in a hurry. I think maybe this detail stuck out to me this time around because of what our focus has been during this season of Lent, looking at the life of Jesus through the lens of his trade. I think I can see the carpenter come out in Jesus again in this moment, never hurried, Because quality woodwork, it just takes time. If you rush it, the wood will split or it'll crack or it'll sand off too much or the finish will be be rough. But if you've watched a quality craftsman do what they do, you know that it is worth it to take your time and to move slowly and to fight that urge to be in a rush. And I think our carpenter Messiah here, he stays consistent with this as he enters into the holy city, refusing, refusing to be rushed. But we sure are. Can we agree with that? That we are a rushed people. I mean, we as a society, we are almost always in a hurry always in a rush, always moving from one thing to the next, always, at least for me, wishing for more time, wishing for more hours in the day so that I could get more done, so that I could have one more thing on my to-do list, so that I could rush through that too. And the more I thought about that this week, the more that I realized that, man, when we are in a hurry, we can justify just about anything. 
My first appointment, uh, the church that I worked at before Bluff Park was a church called River Chase. It's just down the road. It's real close to the Galleria. And I remember one week I was getting ready to preach a sermon that I was really proud of. I had worked like a couple of weeks on it because I didn't preach every week uh, at that appointment. And so I'd really just poured myself into this thing. And it was a sermon on grace and I was really proud of it. And I was so excited to get the chance to stand up and to preach it. And I was getting ready to head over to the sanctuary from my office. The service was about to start. It was like 15 minutes until start time. And I realized that I had built the entire sermon around a prop. It was like this jar with a bunch of stuff inside of it. And the sermon just wouldn't work without the prop. And I left it at home. And Madison was out of town that weekend. And and so my, my brain just started to swirl. Have you ever been in one of those moments where you feel so good about something and then it all just comes crashing down because you forgot one key piece and you spend like 30 seconds just kicking the heck out of yourself, right? Like, how could I forget it? I can picture it on the kitchen counter. Like, I know exactly where it is. And so I started to run through my options, right? I thought the message would fall flat without the prop, but I could just preach it and just tell them about the prop. Or do I try to cut the prop completely out of the sermon and come up with another illustration that'll connect all those dots so that nobody will even ever know that I forgot the prop? And where I landed was that if I hurried, that I could get home before I had to preach because I wasn't going to need to actually stand up and preach in the service until like 20 minutes into worship when the sermon started. So I ran over to the sanctuary and and I told our music director what was going on, that I was not going to be there for the start of the service, but I was still going to preach. So like just if we need to sing an extra chorus or something, do that. But I promise I'll be back. Right. And I ran to my car and like peeled out of the parking lot. And when I left, I remember looking at the clock on my dash and I had 30 minutes to get there and get back. Who wants to guess how long my commute to the church took that morning? 15 minutes. So when I say I hurried, y'all, I, I hurried. I pulled out of the old Montgomery, which if you know where River Chase is, that main road right outside the church. I tore up through the Ashley Furniture parking lot, that little cut through to get to 150. And I, I come down the hill and I end up behind this car. I can still see that, like I can see the car. And the light begins to turn yellow. And it was one of those moments where if they would have just hit the gas instead of hitting the brakes, we could have both cruised through on yellow. But instead, they stopped. And so I'm sitting there right next to the Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, this is it, right? I know it's a long line. This is going to add like three minutes to my commute. I'm done for, right? Like I'm not going to make it back in time. And then I realized that I'm doing the Lord's work here, okay? So I took a right. Chase is right there. He's a cop. Chase, just don't listen to this. I took a right. I popped a UE on 150, and then I took another right, and I just bypassed the light. On that drive home and on the way back to the church, I think I probably rolled every stop sign. I know that I ran one light. We're not going to talk about that. And then I came close to running another light. And it's funny, but there's a truth here, too, for us. Do you realize how vulnerable we are to temptation when we are in a hurry? I mean, oh my gosh, we can justify all kinds of behavior, things that we would never do. We can treat people in a certain way where we would never want to treat somebody like this. But when we're in a hurry, we can justify it because we're willing to do anything just to get to whatever it is that's next, just to do whatever validates our sense of, of hurriedness. 
So I made it home. I got the jar. I made it back to the church, and I had a few minutes to spare. I was feeling pretty good when I pulled back in. All my traffic violations kind of gave me some breathing room, right? Of course, somebody had taken my parking spot, and so I'm like saying things under my breath that I'm probably not going to include in my sermon, trying to drive around and find another parking spot. I drove around to the back of the church, and y'all, I parked in the fire lane, like straight up. <laughs> straight up. There's no way around it. I mean, I parked in, in, that, in the lines. Like, I knew good and well that it was a fire lane, and I was like, I have to do it. Lord's work. Again, like, I, I just have to do it. It's amazing what we will justify when we are in a hurry. But I made it. Came up through the back of the church. I was trying to make my way back to the, to the room where we put our robe and our stoles on, and a woman uh, stopped me. And she said, sir, can you help me? This is my first time visiting this church. I don't know which door to go in the sanctuary. If you've ever been in that church, there's multiple ways to get into the sanctuary. And it's kind of confusing once the service has started. And in my head, my inner voice is just screaming, I don't have time for this. And to be honest, I really don't even remember what exactly I said to her. I might have told her I didn't have time. I don't know. I might have told her that it didn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can go any door you want. It, seriously, it, it, no one's going to know. It, it, they're singing a song right now. It really does not matter which door you go in. But what I do know and what I remember is that before I finished speaking to her, I'd already turned my body to start walking away. And then I expected her to sit in a pew and listen to me talk after I had treated her like that. And the truth is, I don't know if that woman ever stepped foot inside of our church again. I don't even know if she ended up walking in the sanctuary that morning. Because once I sat down, I began to feel really guilty about that. And I found myself scanning the sanctuary, and I couldn't seem to find her. And to this day, I regret so deeply how I handled that moment. It's amazing what we will justify when we are in a hurry. They did have to sing an extra chorus of the hymn before the sermon. But I made it out of breath when I stood up to start preaching or praying or whatever I did. And you won't be surprised that I rushed through the whole sermon. Because it's like once you get into that state, you can, at least I, I can't just turn it off, right? So I took a 22-minute sermon and preached it in 16 minutes. Whew, like I was moving through that thing. And it is one of my least favorite sermons that I have ever preached. My guess this morning is that some of you in here would be willing to admit that you feel at least a little bit haunted by hurry. That you find yourself constantly running around wishing for more time. Justifying your actions simply because you are in a hurry. And maybe it was one big event, one, one big crisis, moment of crisis that threw you into that state, like me on that Sunday morning, because sometimes that just happens in life. Or maybe it wasn't something like that, and instead it just seemed like it was little by little over weeks and months. But now you find yourself in this, this perpetual state of being in a hurry. And you're willing to run red lights and, and, and cut people off. And you find yourself looking at other people like objects rather than actual people. And your blood pressure is up constantly and your patience is down. And you find yourself less likely to show grace or to forgive or to love. Because like me, you're just convinced that you just don't have enough time for any of that stuff. And for good reason. I mean, you have kids to raise, right? we got a lot to do. You have errands to run. You have laundry to fold. You need to call your insurance provider. You have to file taxes. You have to eat like three times a day. 
And then we all got to watch Netflix, right? We got to carve out time at the end of the day for that. What I was struck by this week is that if anybody had more to do with less time, if anybody had a good reason to actually be in a hurry, I think it was probably Jesus. When you think back over his life and his ministry and all that he did, he had three years of public ministry. And it seems to me that he was well aware of the deadline of when the end of his ministry would be. And he had a lot to do. He had to recruit followers from scratch. He had to get them all to buy in. He didn't recruit like the most trainable people of what we later find out when we read the story of the disciples. He had to train them because they would be the seeds of the church. They didn't know that at the time, but he knew that at the time. He knew who Peter was going to have to be when Peter was not in his finest moments. He had to endure criticism from the Pharisees. He had to resist temptation because, remember, he was fully human. So he faced every temptation that we face today. He had to heal and perform miracles. He had to love other people. He had to eat with other people that nobody else wanted to eat with. He had to preach sermons and teach parables. And in the midst of all of that, he had to find time to fulfill 351 prophecies that we find in the Old Testament. And yet, Jesus never ran never he was never rushed he was never in a hurry in fact if you go back and read about jesus's public ministry and just read his life you will be so frustrated by how many times jesus allows himself to be interrupted when he is in the middle of something and it was like he always had time No matter who it was that was coming to him and interrupting him when he was on his way to go somewhere, he always stopped. He always gave them what they needed. And it didn't matter who it was. Whether it was a Roman centurion or a rich young ruler or a bleeding woman pulling on his cloak when he's on his way to bring a girl back to life, Jesus always had time. He refused to be in a hurry. He even had time for the criminal next to him on the cross. And here's the thing. Here's what I think I realized this week. If Jesus lived an unrushed life, a life that was not in a hurry, shouldn't we seek to do the same? I mean, if we really want to follow this Messiah, if we really want to be his follower and not just emulate his teachings and his principles, but actually follow him. Shouldn't we seek to live like him? Because I think we have this tendency as Christians and as modern believers to pay really close attention to what Jesus taught and then allow ourselves to ignore how he actually lived. But my challenge for you and for me this week is for us to live like Jesus. And just see what happens. Because you, like me, are going to feel the urge to rush through this week. I know for sure that I am going to feel the urge to rush through this week. Because this is my busy season, y'all. But it's the peak of our faith. It's what we've been building up to for what, to me, feels like since Christmas, right? It's like we get through Christmas and then we're already looking forward to the chance to celebrate the resurrection. Christ as the foundation of our faith, that Jesus conquered the grave, that the sting of death is no more. And for me, at least, the temptation, once I get through Palm Sunday, is just to rush through this next week so that I can get to Easter morning. 
And I'm sure that many of you have Easter plans. If you've got kids and you're trying to figure out what they're going to wear for worship on Easter morning, maybe you have folks coming to your house, so this week you're going to be cleaning and preparing and trying to make enough food for your family to come over. Or maybe you're traveling to see family, so you're doing all of that but packing and trying to take it with you and then get out of town and go somewhere that you don't normally spend time to be with folks that you love. Whatever it is this week, my hunch is that in some way you are going to feel that pressure to be in a hurry. But my challenge for you instead is that you would would slow down just a little bit so that you can actually live like Jesus as you walk with him to the cross this week. So that maybe this week, as we walk with Jesus through Holy Week, we'll actually get just a little bit of of that rest that he promises when we decide to follow him and, and live like him. Traditionally, we call this next week, this week leading up to Easter, we call it Holy Week. And each day is meant to provide us with a very specific focus as we get closer and closer to the cross with Jesus. I wanted to try and help us do this this week, to try and help us slow down. So I made a daily devotion guide that I'm going to ask you to take with you. It's just one sheet of paper. And you're going to find the focus that we're supposed to have traditionally for each day of Holy Week, Monday through Saturday. You're going to find a scripture reading, and you're going to find just a little bit of writing, maybe some questions or some insights. But I wanted to give you something tangible, something physical to maybe help you take up this practice this week. To just be willing to slow down, even if it's only for a second. To inject something new into your day, to remind you every day this week to try and get rid of that hurry that we feel and instead be willing to live like Jesus. Because I'm I'm pretty convinced that, that if we want to get all that we can get out of this week, If we want to grow like I know we want to grow this week, if we want to realize what I know we want to realize this week leading up to Easter, if we really do want to walk with Jesus to the cross, if we want to be emotionally and spiritually present when we do stumble upon that empty tomb on on Easter morning, if we really do want to find the rest that Jesus promises when we decide to follow him, then we have to slow down. We have to. And just be willing to live like this carpenter Messiah of ours. Because when we do, I believe that when we do, we'll be kinder. I believe that we will be more grace-filled. I think it'll be a little bit easier for us to be love-motivated. I think we'll be more willing to forgive. I think when we slow down, we turn into a people who look a whole lot more like Jesus. My hope for us, for me, and for you is that we would slow down this week so that we might actually be ready for the empty tomb when Sunday comes. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be 
a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.